Hello and welcome to the Simon Goose Podcast. This is episode 60 and this episode is all about emergency orthopaedics. And I interview Dr. Aaron Sayal, who is an emergency physician from Toronto, who has a special interest in orthopaedics and he'll explain more about that in a bit. Dr. Sayal runs the award-winning Casted course, which you can get on Continuous. And there's another special offer today for listeners of St. Mungo's. You can get 25% off using the coupon Casted25. And we'll explain more about that at the end. But let's just jump right in. So, hello and welcome to the St. Mungo's podcast. We've gone international again. This is very exciting. And we are delighted to welcome... um, Dr. Aaron Sayal. So Dr. Aaron Sayal is uh, an emergency physician from Toronto. And I'm going to let you fill in the rest. Well, you are obviously very passionate about the topic we're going to speak about, which is emergency orthopedics. How did, how did all that come about? And, and you're very welcome as well. Oh, well, thank you very much. And truly <laughs> a, a pleasure and honor to be back and, uh, and to connect with you again, as always, Owen. So thank you. Um, so in, in medical school, I thought I would be an orthopedic surgeon. I spent a couple of years, you know, doing electives primarily in that and realized I didn't want to do a, to do ortho. I really liked a variety of things. So I, I, I did family medicine with, with an interest in emergency medicine, did some extra training in emergency medicine. And that's what I've worked at for years, um, but always with an interest in orthopedics. So I, I always spent a lot of time talking to our surgeons. And 15 years ago, they knew my interest in ortho. And they said, listen, we're looking for a non-surgeon to look after minor fractures it's an interest of yours. Do you want to do this? And I said, sure. Thinking that I knew something about ortho and, and really in, in 12 weeks of running the minor fracture clinic, you know, I'd learned more about eMERGE ortho than I had in 12 years of full-time eMERGE. Yeah. Um, and it's just these little pearls that the surgeons keep telling me. So I, I still work in the fracture clinic. In a couple of days, I'll have another fracture clinic. And on Mondays now, I actually go to the operating room to assist the surgeons on their trauma cases, like not total hips and total knees, but their eMERGE like fracture cases. And I just get a chance to learn more from them, to see the anatomy, to understand better. So all of these, I, you know, I, I still do my eMERGE shifts. I work in the fracture clinic. I work in the OR. Um, and, and it's really awesome to, to learn about orthopedics this way. And for the last number of years, you've been then sharing this knowledge. You've developed a real reputation. You've got this award-winning um, course, the Casted course, which I've been very lucky to attend. And so that was an extension, I guess, of this. You you realized there was a lot to learn. There was a lot for emergency physicians and other acute care physicians to know. And you've been sharing that now for a number of years. Isn't that right? Yeah, I, I think it's almost like a perfect storm. Like I didn't re- I didn't start the fracture clinic thinking there was this knowledge gap with my colleagues. I just thought I knew it and I'll start the clinic and I realized I didn't know anything. Maybe others don't. But I also work in a hospital that really values medical education. So because of that, if I, you know, if I did the clinic some other hospital, I'd probably just do my clinic and put my head down and do my work. But when you work in an environment, like, you know, St. Mungo's has an environment for medical education. So if you work there and you think of some idea, it just sparks doing something more with it. So I think the environment is very important. So I think, you know, North York General is a big part of this story. Yeah, it really nurtures it, doesn't it? Well, look, there's a lot to talk about because it's a big topic. Of course, we can't cover the entirety of emergency orthopedics in 25 minutes. But we're going to go through five key pearls, history taking, physical examination, x-rays, ED management, and disposition. And just some of the key pearls that you've kind of learned and, and you now share through your course. And we're absolutely delighted. Let's start off with the background. Why is this an important topic uh, for us? I think a couple of things. One is it's a big part of what we do in eMERGE medicine. So it's maybe, you know, depending on where you work, it could be 20, 25% of the patients you see are, are some orthopedic injury. Um, 
but it's disproportionately represented if people complain or have a lawsuit. So therefore, we probably don't do so well at it. A lot of us, you know, when we've done studies, we don't have clinical confidence with the MSK side of things, the musculoskeletal side, orthopedic side. So, so if we get confidence with a big chunk of what we do, I think this just helps us enjoy our work better. So it's clinical confidence, which I think also helps us sustain. It's a difficult job. And if, if we take a big chunk of it and know it better, understand it better, I, I think we can enjoy our job much more. And I think you found that personally, haven't you? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Incredibly so. Absolutely. Clinical confidence is, I think, the key to enjoying emergency medicine. It's one of the keys. It's, it's hard to enjoy eMERGE if you don't have clinical confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's jump right into then. So let's take each of them in turn. So the first one is taking a history. So we often probably don't take a good enough history. We often rely a bit more on the x-rays and less. The, so let's start in that. Why is it that we don't take a good history, generally speaking? I, I think we're all too focused on x-ray. I mean, if we, if we, like the x-ray is kind of like, you know, you, you see something with your eyes. So why do I have to do the rest of it? Like I can just look at it and see what's wrong. We have all these rules about who needs an x-ray, who doesn't. So all the focus is on an x-ray. When you call a surgeon and say, I've got a case to go, what's the x-ray show? And all of a sudden, like, you know, but that, they're doing that for a management point of view. We need to be able to make a diagnosis. And, you know, sure, an ECG is an important thing for chest pain, but it's not enough. A CT head is an important thing for a headache, but it's not enough. You need a history and a physical. And orthopedically, you know, an x-ray is a good thing for, you know, for a patient with an MSK injury, but it's not enough. <laughs> you need a history and a physical, and then you predict what the, what's going on with the x-ray. And, and I think we're much better if we do it. And I, I've learned that for sure. Like I used to do I, I, auto anchor rules, take the x-ray first, look at the x-ray, tell the patient what's wrong and miss an Achilles and miss some other injury or whatever it happens to be. So, so doing a history and a physical first is super important. And I think there's probably a lot of people listening to this right now relating to this. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah. I was the same way. And I was, because now I see what I missed in Emerge. Yeah. Do you think it's been compounded a little bit by in some departments, certainly ones that I've worked in, often they get x-ray triaged. Yeah. So actually they've had their x-ray before I even go to see the patient. And actually, you, oh, I'll have a look. And then right. you've gone in, you're kind of preconditioned. You're, you're going to go in and nearly start off with yeah, just absolutely. the in interpretation, really. 100%, right? And then you go to the patient and all they want to know is what's the x-ray show? Because they came there for the x-ray. So then we're like, okay, I might as well just look at the x-ray and tell you. And then if you see it's negative, we just go, well, it must be a soft tissue injury. And we don't take a history or a physical. And, and, and if you do a history or physical, it also predicts where the injury is. Like, you know where to look on the x-ray. That Part of these subtle injuries are missed because we just don't know where to look. Can I ask you that if an x-ray has been done before you go and see a patient, do you look at it first? Yeah, so I'll, you know, I, might, I might screen it and have a quick look. But, you know, if a patient's ankle is off at 90 degrees, you'll look at their ankle and you'll know. But what I'll tell the patient is, I know you had an x-ray done. If I, hear, if I hear your story and examine you first, I can look at your x-ray better. Patients always want better. So if you tell them the reason why you're doing it, that I, I can look at the x-ray better, there are ways that you can touch a patient with a, you know injured ankle without causing them so much pain. So there are ways that you can do this on a physical exam. And that's a really helpful thing to predict where to look on the x-ray. So, so I'll, you know, in the fracture clinic, I'll often look at the x-ray first because it's in the central location. I look at the x-ray, I go tell the patient they've already been seen by somebody and diagnosed. But if I go examine them and they're sore somewhere where I wasn't looking, I go, let me go back to the x-ray. And I'll walk back to the x-ray and go, oh, you were actually sore in your fifth finger and I looked at your wrist or whatever it happens to be. So, so I'll sometimes go back and have to redo that assessment of the x-ray after I've seen them. But in eMERGE, I will try to look at that patient first before I see the x-ray. So what should we ask in a good history? It's really just a few things. Like you, you need to know what happened to the patient. 
meaning what was the force that was involved? So somebody said they fell off a ladder. Were they two rungs, like you know, two feet off the ground, or were they 12 feet off the ground? Because it's a different force when you land. You need to know the mechanism of injury. So if you, if you injure your ankle, a very common way is to invert your ankle. You know, you roll over the outside of your foot. But if your foot turns out, external rotation, that's a hugely more worrisome mechanism. If somebody actually loaded, if they fell from a height and actually just pounded straight down, that's tell, that predicts other injuries as well. And if we don't ask that question, if we just look at an x-ray in isolation, we miss those key parts of it. So we need to know the, the, the force. We need to know the way that it was applied, the mechanism of injury. We need to know what happened afterwards. You hurt your knee in soccer. Did you keep playing? I mean, I should have said football. Sorry. You hurt your knee in football. Did you keep playing? And if they kept playing and then the next day their knees sore and swollen, they probably didn't tear their ACL. But if they injured it, they had to get carted off the field. They couldn't walk. And the next day, their knee is sore and swollen. Maybe they tore the race. So these events afterwards are also predictive. We do that for motor vehicle collisions all the time. Oh, you have neck pain after a car accident? When did that start? Oh, it started the next day. I'm not so worried. But it, so it doesn't take long. We just have to, you know, the same reason we you know chest pain. If it goes through to the back, we're more worried. Well, if you injured your ankle and your foot turned out, I'm more worried. So this is just how we raise our pretest probability and, and things to think about. Then, then you just have to think about also the patient. Like, who is it? If it's a child, the weak link in the chain is bone. They're more likely to fracture. Not always, but they might. If, you're, you know, if it's someone young like yourself who falls and injures their wrist, you're more likely to injure your distal, you know, your distal radius is strong and the force might come out your scaphoid or your scaphoid ligament. But if you're old like me and fall on your outstretched hand, what happens is I'm going to break my distal radius probably. So therefore, like just knowing their age, when you're older, you're more likely to have a fracture. When you're younger, as a child, more likely a fracture. Younger adults have really good quality bone, so the ligament takes it more. So these are all just little pieces. And if you ever watch an orthopedic surgeon take a history, he or she doesn't spend a lot of time. But there's some really important pieces that are, that are really helpful. And probably the last thing I would say is don't forget about the other side or previous injuries. So when you're examining somebody's knee, you know, if they've injured their ACL on the other side and never got fixed and you feel in both of them, they feel similar, you might go, ah, I'm not too worried about it. But if you didn't know they injured the other side, you know, you, you'll miss the key that that's actually abnormal. You're not comparing to a normal side. So if they've had a previous injury of their ACL, of, a, of the affected knee, I feel, hey, it feels loose. But maybe that's an old injury and not an acute injury. So knowing about previous injuries and injuries to the opposite side are really important as well. Okay, so pearl number two is about physical examination. Now, my first question was going to be, why do we tend to do an inadequate examination? Is that, again, partly our reliance on x-rays? I think it's partly our reliance on x-rays. I think it's partly we, we don't like causing people pain. And if we don't understand the value of it, we touch them. All we do is we cause them pain. And then we go, I'm going to look at the x-ray anyways. And if we don't do the test well, um, we don't get much value out of it. So therefore, we ignore it. But then what happens is we ignore important pieces of the physical exam. And why should we take a good physical exam? Well, it actually narrows the differential. So if, if, if I see somebody like, if it's an obvious distal radius fracture, then, you know, okay, everyone can tell. But if somebody has a very subtle injury, and if, if their x-ray is normal and they've fallen on their outstretched hand, you could injure, you could have an occult distal radius fracture. You could have an occult scaphoid fracture. You could have a scaphoid ligament injury. You could have a triclitoral injury. You could potentially have a hook of handmade fracture, a drudge injury. And what narrows that list is a physical exam. So all of them can have a normal x-ray. All of them have a fall on their outstretched hand. So the history is the same. The x-ray is the same. And how you narrow that list very carefully, very very succinctly is through the physical exam. That's the path to narrow the diagnosis. 
And if we miss it, we, we miss it. So the obvious stuff is no problem. The really minor stuff that nobody has anything serious, that's not a problem either. It's these subtle presentations uh, where doing a proper assessment makes the difference. And this is where you get clinical confidence. Instead of hoping, instead of hoping they don't have something serious, you can say comfortably they do or don't have something serious. And I guess the the location of tenderness is pretty reliable in orthopedics. Would that be fair? There are occasions where you can get referred pain, etc. But if you press on a particular location, that's generally pretty reliable. So you have to press to know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and this is where refer, and, and your point of referred pain is brilliant as always because when you sit there, if somebody says my knee hurts. If it's referred pain, when you touch their knee, their knee actually doesn't hurt because the source of the pain is not their knee. It's something more proximal. So it's another reason. Like the reason you do a physical exam is to confirm what you think on history. And if you examine somebody's you know, knee, it doesn't hurt, but they say their knee hurts. You better think it's coming. That's a red flag for referred. But if you never touch their knee, you miss that clinical clue as well. But you're absolutely right. You find that point of maximal tenderness and then under your finger, it could be skin, it could be soft tissue, it could be bone, whatever it is, but something under your finger is causing them pain. It's part of the reason ortho is relatively simple and straightforward, but you just got to follow these simple things. Do a history, do a physical, and then look at the test. Now, how should we examine properly? I know there's a lot to cover in orthopedics. We'll not look at specific joints and limbs, but are there set little things that you do when you examine uh, parts of the body? So I think probably a good way to examine as an approach is look, feel, move. So you have to look down the skin to make sure there's not an open injury. You have to like look and also to see if there's swelling or deformity. And that's easy to do by comparing to the opposite side. You're feeling to see where it hurts. And then you want to see them move it because if somebody's injured their knee and their x-ray is negative, if they ruptured their quadriceps, they won't be able to straight leg race. So there are, there are important things on this that are, that are helpful. So as a look, feel, move is a good approach. A lot of these special tests that we learn about aren't so helpful in eMERGE because they're really painful and they're really sore and it causes them more pain and they're less reliable. Um, so that also you weigh in and, and you don't also hang your hat too much on those special tests. But with look, feel, move, it'll help. And the odd special test you can bring in depending on the joint. Well, one thing I will say is that we don't like causing pain to people. And, and we have to realize that the, the physical exam, the purpose of a physical is not to cause them pain but to find the cause of their pain. And if we don't touch patients, we actually miss that golden opportunity to localize where their pain is coming from. Okay, so let's move on to x-rays. So they are still important, despite what we've said, they are it's still essential. Um, but we have become a little bit too focused on them, I guess. Um, and why is that? Let's just go over that again, because I think it's important. Yeah, I, I think part of it is we have all these rules, the auto ankle rules, the auto knee rules. So it feels like it's the x-ray that drives all of this of whether we should be worried or not. And I think it puts too much reliance on it. Part of it also is that when we call a surgeon with a concern, they want to know what's the x-ray look like. But they're looking at it from a management point of view. So from a diagnosis point of view, it's history physical, and then there's a test. And the x-ray is not a perfect, you know, it's not a perfect tool to make a diagnosis. And if somebody has a normal x-ray, there's a lot of stuff they could have. They could have a septic joint. They could have compartment syndrome. They could have an occult fracture. They could have an operative soft tissue injury. It could be referred pain from a more proximal source. They could have had a dislocation that, that spontaneously reduced. There's a whole lot of stuff that the patient could have had with a normal x-ray. So that's another reason that if we, you know, again, a normal CT scan, not enough. A normal ECG, it's not good enough. Uh, a, a normal x-ray is not good enough to say they don't have something serious. 
And that's another reason why we've relied too much on it is because you know, all these rules point towards it. The surgeon always asks about it. And then we think that's where all the money is. But it's not. It's back to history and physical. So to put it in a nice, succinct way, what to you is the purpose of an x-ray? Well, the, the x-ray will confirm our diagnosis many times. So you think it's a fracture, great. But you have to, if you have a high pretest probability, then you can ignore it. But if also, if you're worried, boy, I wonder if they've ruptured their patellar tendon or their quads rupture, or they've done, you know, or they've got a distal biceps rupture or Achilles, you can expect the x-ray to be relatively normal. It'll show soft tissue swelling, but it would be normal then. And you have an expectation of the test. So this is an important thing that whatever test we order in the bigger picture, we need to have an expectation of it. And if we start with the test, if we don't have a pretest probability, it's a, it's, it's a far less valuable tool. And there's nothing else in medicine where we start at the test and work our way back to the diagnosis. And we shouldn't do it orthopedically. And I think, I think you're, you know, the fact that you've asked the question that, as succinctly as you always do, this is really what the, what the crux of orthopedics is. Like we put our value in, 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 in things that don't, aren't able to do that. An x-ray is not able to tell us to worry or not worry. An x-ray just tells us, you know, it helps with the diagnosis. And if you have a fracture, it certainly helps with management. It's a very valuable tool. It's not a perfect tool. And if you add that to a history and physical, we're way better. If you try to use it in isolation, this is where we make mistakes. Okay, so when when does it let us down? It, it, it lets us down when we over-rely on it. So if we don't put it with a history, you know, again, you have to have that expectation of the test. So specific examples, you know, I have this little mnemonic called scared of. Like, we're, you know, what should you be scared of when you have a normal x-ray? So septic, compartment syndrome, abuse, if it's referred pain, if there's an x-ray report, so the RE is also report, the radiologist might miss it. 20% of the time, if there's an abnormality on an x-ray, radiology misses it. That's a huge miss rate. And if we just rely on the report, we're more likely to miss it. So D is a dislocation that's spontaneously reduced or a subluxation. O is an operative soft tissue injury. And F is a fracture that you can't see on the x-ray. And if you do a history and a physical, you can predict which of these you may be worried about. And then if you have a high expectation of a fracture and the x-ray is negative, well, maybe you should still be worried about a fracture. But if you're from your story, you thought they had a, whatever it was, a minor soft tissue injury and their x-ray is negative, then you'll feel more comfortable just saying it's a minor soft tissue injury. You can treat that normal x-ray with a low pretest probability and let them go on with their day. So it confirms your diagnosis if you're worried about it. But if you're worried about something different, it may not be a good enough test. And we have to be able to, again, we can't just look at the x-ray and tell the patient what's wrong. We need to put the whole thing with a pretest probability. Um, and we don't do that. We don't do that with MSK. Now, I think it's extremely common to see x-ray normal, soft tissue injury, race management, home. Now, that may be an appropriate response in a lot of cases, but why is it potentially not the right approach in others? Well, I think what we're doing is we're putting all of these patients in the same basket and, and we can stratify these a little bit better. If somebody says they sprained their ankle and when you compare just a little bit swollen compared to the opposite side and their x-ray is negative, it's probably a relatively minor sprain. But if they have an x-ray that's negative, but a big sore swollen ankle, that's a much more significant injury. And you can stratify that. How are they weight bearing? But you put the whole picture together. Sure, the x-ray is one piece of it that makes a fracture less likely. But we can, start to, we can start to stratify the cases that we're more or less worried about. If somebody's injured their wrist and their x-ray is negative, that whole wrist sprain thing, that's really a problem because there's often a lot of other stuff. Scaphalunate ligament. If the ulnar side of the wrist, this drudge injury, D-R-U-J, like I never diagnosed that my first 12 years in eMERGE until I started working in the fracture clinic and I started seeing them. I started asking orthopedics, what are these? 
And I, and then your eyes open then too. But if all I did was like check for snuff box tenderness and the x-ray is negative, I called it a wrist brain. I missed all of these things. So, so we need to just put our history and our physical together, add the test to it. And then the test is really just the x-ray is just telling you, do they need an operation now or not in a sense in many ways? And it tells you about the management, but you're worried about a significant injury. You should immobilize them and have them followed up. That's based on history and physical. So, so again, it's putting too much weight in the x-ray and don't put all the soft tissue injuries in the same basket because some are way more serious than others. So just thinking about the, the benefits of x-rays now. So say that we see a fracture on an x-ray. You have a nice little four-step approach to how, you know, what we should be asking ourselves when we look at a fracture. So do you mind just quickly going through that? Sure. I, I'm not a big fan of the classification systems for a couple of reasons as we put eponyms on things. But secondly, we don't understand what like what the, the there's common elements to each of these classification systems. And basically, you want to know, is the fracture common? Because the more pieces it's in, the harder it is to hold together. Yeah. Is the, did the fracture go into the joint? Because if it goes into a joint, it needs to be more anatomically aligned because if it heals in a bad position, you can get arthritis down the road. Did the fracture shift? Because if a fracture shifted, even if it shifted significantly and you reduced it, all that soft tissue was torn. And therefore, it's less stable, more likely to be operative. And if a fracture is oblique or spiral, sure, that tells you something about the force that caused it. But it's also less stable because when the muscles pull on it, an oblique or a spiral fracture is much more likely to shift than, let's say, a transverse fracture. So if we think of common unit, joint involved, shifted, oblique spiral, if we just think of those four things, when we look at an x-ray, instead of just saying, I see a fracture, you can now start to stratify the fracture, good ones versus bad ones, and separate them out. Okay, pearl number four, we're going to talk about the main functions that we have as clinicians in the management of injury. So let's split it into two, fractures and non-fractures, or uh, positive x-rays and negative x-rays, let's say. Um, so let's start with fractures. What, what's our main role in, in the management of these? So uh, it, the way surgeons think about fractures, it's actually quite simple. It's obtain and maintain. Get it straight, keep it straight. That's really how they think about these things. So if a fracture is in good position, right? some of them are stable, some of them are not. If you have a trimalleolar or fracture of the ankle in perfect position, that's grossly unstable. That gets an operation. If you have a little kid with a buckle fracture of their distal radius, that's also in perfect position, but that's a stable injury. And that kid can just get like a tensor bandage or whatever, a Velcro splint. They don't need to be formally immobilized in a cast with a simple buckle fracture. So position is one part of it. And then will the fracture shift or not? So this is where the x-ray plays a role if it's a good versus a bad fracture in our understanding of it. So we need to ask, is the position acceptable? We need to ask, will the fracture shift? And as we start out, we may not know the answers to the questions, but at least then we find out, hey, there's a question that I don't know the answer to. Let me go look it up or let me go ask somebody. But if we never know the question, we never find the answer. We never get better. So th this is kind of a link. That's why you know we, we ask people when they, when they see a fracture, just say the phrase obtain and maintain, and it forces you to answer questions about position and about stability. And what about um, patients that have normal x-rays? Right. And, and this again, so like this is the, this is the, the art of, of emergency medicine, especially when you have a normal test, when do you worry? So the patient comes in and, you know, if they're an 80 year old with abdominal pain, right, you're, you're going to be way more worried when they walk in just because of their age and stuff, you know, and if their white count's normal, you're not going to care. You're going to be more worried about them. And similarly, orthopedically, you just have to know when to worry. So when the test is normal, most of them you don't have to worry about, but some you do. And that's again, history and physical. Where are they sore? How much soft tissue swelling is there? 
if a 25 year old you know injures his ankle in basketball has a bit of lateral swelling in a negative x-ray that's a relatively benign injury probably but if he's got a lot of lateral swelling in a negative x-ray that's going to take much longer to heal 10 or 15 percent of emerged ankle sprains six months nine months later are still having problems so some of them actually do linger even though they're just a soft tissue injury if a 30 year old falls off a roof and injures his wrist and he's got a sore swollen wrist even if the x-ray is negative and he's snuff box negative, something bad happened to that guy's wrist just on history and physical. So he should be more formally mobilized and followed up because you're more worried about him. And, and this is how it drives it. So, so a negative x-ray is a, is a great starting point. It tells us there probably isn't anything acutely we need to do. But boy, we better start thinking, you know, could it be from somewhere else? How bad is the injury? What is the soft tissue like? And the more worried we are based on history and physical, the more likely we are to immobilize them and have them closely followed. Okay, so final pearl, um, and it kind of leads nicely from what we've just spoken about, but let's give it its own wee space. But what, what kind of things influence your decision-making process when disposing of, of patients with orthopedic injuries? Yeah, so, so disposition is always an important part of it. So it's about making an accurate diagnosis. What do we do in the emergency department? And then who do we get them to and how quickly do we need to get them there? Uh, many of the people who maybe listen to the podcast work rurally. And, and orthopedics may be difficult to access. And does that patient need to travel a couple of hundred kilometers to see them? Or could they be looked after manage, uh, could they be looked after locally by their primary care physician? And this is where it haps, hap, helps to have, understand the roadmap. How worried are you? So you need the personality of the injury. What was the history? What was the physical? What does the x-ray look like? That tells you about the injury. And then you need to add the personality of the patient. Because if you have an undisplaced distal radius fracture in a 25-year-old, we're not particularly concerned. That'll heal nicely. If you have an undisplaced distal radius fracture in an 85-year-old, it may not need an operation. But if he or she normally walks with a walker and now they have a cast on their arm, there can be a real safety issue. And maybe they need to be seen sooner just to make sure they don't get a frozen shoulder, that they're healing well, that they're managing fine. So the personality of the patient plays a role in this as well. If you have a 25-year-old who does a lot of work with his hands and he's a labor, you know, he will notice if his arm is 5% less strong than it should be, or if he has some sort of dysfunction. So that's why their vocation makes a difference. If they're a smoker, if they've got comorbidities, if somebody has a foot fracture and they've got poor sensation in their foot, they could get a Charco joint and you have to be way more careful with them. So understanding these, this is how we, we risk stratify patients. And that's what we're specialists at in the emergency department. Someone has chest pain, their tests are normal. When do I worry? Someone has abdominal pain, their tests are normal. When should I worry? Somebody has an orthopedic injury, when should I worry? And if we just understand how to make those decisions, this is that roadmap part that we understand the personality of the injury, we add the personality of the patient, and the more worried we are, the more quickly they should be seen, perhaps the more we need to immobilize them and protect them. And as a general rule, we just need to think of this. It's not x-ray negative, soft tissue injury, go to primary care. Okay, thank you very much for taking us through those pearls. That was absolutely brilliant. I was wondering, can we finish with one last, I say, I was going to say little thing, but it's probably not a little thing, but um, what, what are the things that, that we probably, what are the conditions or injuries that we probably handle least well in your experience? Would you mind just highlighting a few so that in, when we go back to our practice, there are specific things that we can really implement and think about when we, when we uh, start looking at these again? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question because I think in the big picture, there's a few things where if we could anchor these down, our clinical confidence would really improve. So one is like if somebody has a, a wrist injury, if they have a fall on their outstretched hand, you know, our typical thing is are you snuffbox tender or not with a negative x-ray? 
But boy, there's so much more. They tender the scaphalonic ligament or their drudge. There's other things. And if we could just examine people properly, that would be helpful. If somebody has an acute knee injury, that's another thing. We just look at the x-ray. And sometimes the patient never gets off of a wheelchair and we never actually examine them. But they could have an occult fracture. They could have a dislocated knee that's spontaneously reduced. They could have a quads rupture. They could have all these like nasty injuries inside of a normal x-ray. And again, we need to have an approach to the patient with an acute knee injury that will help us because we see a lot of them we don't like touching them because what, what, you know, the, the Lockman anterior drawer, none of these are of value because they're in too much pain. So we don't even touch them and we miss these clinical clues. But if we, if we did touch them, we would have a better understanding of it. And I think it would give us that clinical confidence. The other couple of things, a little less common, but, but I think we miss a fair bit are, are subtle ankle fractures. Looking at the lateral view, looking for a posterior malleolus, subtle, subtle widening of the mortise. This is like paying attention to the x-ray and kids' elbows. If you look after kids, kids' elbows, not that common, but they're commonly mismanaged and commonly misdiagnosed. And I think if we, if we could focus attention on those three or four things, those will be the building blocks that if we got those down as good, you know, comfortable ways of managing those patients and emerge, that we could build on that to get to to all the other stuff and we can add that on afterwards. But but those are really those are really like the biggest pieces I would say of the puzzle. Aaron, do you mind if I just ask you just for a wee bit more on the pediatric elbows? Only because I work in a predominantly adult only emergency department. We we get some walk-in pediatrics, but not often. So I feel a little bit rusty. So just when you mentioned that, I thought, oh, tell me more. So any specific injury patterns or anything specific about pediatric injuries? Well, I, I think you know, we we think of supracondylar and we think of pulled elbow. But supracondylars are 70% of kids' elbow fractures. And if we then ask, what are the other 30%? Like there's two of them that are, that are big pieces that make up 25 of that 30%. And I never diagnosed those my first 12 years in a full-time eMERGE because I missed them every time before I started working in the fracture clinic. And that's a lateral condyle fracture and a medial epicondyle fracture. But again, if we don't, know the, if we don't even know the diagnosis, how can we possibly make it? And this is part of expanding our differential. So kids' elbows, and then even in supracondylars, most are non-operative, but some are. And this is where you really need a good lateral film. You need to look at the other views. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a deep dive for sure to just talk about kids' elbows. But it's one area that even, even in our hospital where we see 20% of our population is pediatric, we see it's mismanaged many times. It's misdiagnosed. Um, kids' elbows are tricky and they're, they're, they're not that common, but if they're missed, they're often operative. And because kids heal faster than adults do, if, if we don't get them to the specialist in time, uh, the reduction is actually more challenging because the kids naturally have healing. So kids' elbows are a particularly problematic area, but, but don't, don't feel bad. It's not just any particular person who feels that way. All of us do in emergency medicine. It's tricky. Okay, Aaron, thank you so, so very much. That was absolutely fantastic. I'm going to ask one final question, if that's okay. And I, and I ask everyone that I interview the same question. What have you gained in your experience? So if I could bring you back in your time machine or my time machine to meet your junior self starting out, what, what have you gained in all that time that you would pass on to your junior self just starting their career? Um, so I, I'll tell you, uh, one thing I think that, I, I give and I give this advice to our, our colleagues as well. Similar, it's just establish yourself clinically first. You may have a subspecialty interest, especially in emerge when people are already like before they jump into the into the career, they're looking at their exit path. How do I get out of here? What's my what's my what's my ticket out of emerge? And I just think with that mentality, you're setting yourself up to fail. 
And I think what would be ideal is just go, you know, maybe do a little bit less clinical work, but just establish yourself clinically and get clinical excellence first. And from that, other opportunities will jump out at you where you can do things like this whole fracture clinic stuff was never a plan of mine. It was 12 years after full-time emerge. And now I've had, you know, a total of 16 years of the fracture clinic. So it's, it's long ago that it started, but, but to have had that sort of clinical like base to start with uh, and to really love emergency medicine, that's why I think I still love it 28 years in. So I think that's an important part is just, just anchor yourself into emerge. Um, if you find it's too much to do, back off your shift work a little bit, but really spend a lot of time like clinically getting solid. One other thing, and and one of, you know, it's actually an orthopedic surgeon who gave me the advice of the three A's, which I'm sure many people have heard, be affable, be able, uh, and available. And if you just do that in the beginning as well, you establish yourself in your in your group, things work out really well, um, and then you're off to the right track. So it's that kind of first impression as you get going. Um, those things are also super helpful. So uh, do those things, find a group that really, you know, that, that you like to work with, that you feel proud to work at. Um, if you do all those things, it'll be a, a mutually beneficial ride. You'll you'll contribute to your group and your group will be grateful for all of your contributions. Uh, they'll also help you grow as well. So the, uh, hopefully those things can be of, of value to uh, to your listeners. Dr. Aaron Sial, I cannot thank you enough. That's been absolutely fabulous. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure and always a pleasure connecting with you, my friend. Thank you. So many, many thanks to Aaron Sayal. There was so much to take away from this. I struggled to condense it into just a few points. So what I've done is I've created a a series or a list of uh, summary points, and I've put that in the show notes for this uh, podcast. So if you go to stmungos-ed.com, if you click on the link for podcast, and then you find this podcast, you'll find the show notes there. And also in the show notes, there is a free tutorial from the course for everyone, and that's on the Cunningham technique. So that's a no sedation method to reduce anterior shoulder dislocations. So like we said before, Aaron Seal runs this casted course. It's an award-winning course. It's a phenomenal emergency orthopedics course, which is now online and on demand at Continuous. It's a 10-hour course that you can do at your own time and pace. And it comes with 10 CPD points or 10 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. And you can get 25% off today uh, using the coupon CASTA25. So if you sign up at Continuous, which is free, you go to the courses section, find the CASTA course, click to buy, enter the coupon CASTA25, and you'll get 25% off the price today. So many, many thanks for listening. Remember, there's a lot more educational resources at stmungos-ed.com. And if you haven't done so already and you're enjoying these podcasts, please leave us a five-star review on Apple. Until next time, take care.